We are continuing, actually no, not continuing, we new, new series today. Uh, we finished up last week our series on faith. I, you know, I pick a, a important word from the series to sort of be the, the through line. Uh, we were talking about our faithful response to God's salvation. This week, we start a new series uh, on the church. If you, are, uh, you have taken that faithful response, you have uh, submitted to Christ's will, what next? What is the next part? And so we're going to talk about the church this morning, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a series of words about life in a community of believers. What does that look like? What are some important parts of that? How can we be a part of that in a way that is productive and valuable and beneficial? And so we're going to start with the word church, the word itself. And I alluded to this this morning uh, in class. Ecclesia, a popular assembly in the, New in the New Testament. It's sort of used in the translation of the Old Testament too, which we'll talk about. Uh, it is a word that meant originally a popular assembly, which then, of course, through the use of the New Testament, transferred to the Christian body. Also, the, the congregation of Israel, the church, the local portion of the church. We'll talk about all these things as we go. But the word itself is just a popular assembly. Now, you've heard probably before the idea of the called out, those who are called out of the word world. That's not the technical definition of the word ecclesia, but it's a sort of a compound of ek and, and this, there, there's two parts of the word ecclesia, right? Uh, the, those who are called out of the world. I understand that people use that and it's kind of a nice sort of etymology thing, but the word defined specifically is a popular assembly. And it is not always translated church in English Bibles. Uh, Acts 19, we're not going to read Acts 19. I would encourage you to go through in Acts 19. Uh, there's a riot. Paul uh, is, is accused of some bad stuff in, in Ephesus, and there's this riot that starts. And three times the word ecclesia is used to describe the crowd, the crowd who is basically rioting. They, they come out of their homes, and they get together, and they start an uproar, and they're called an ecclesia. Three separate times they're called an ecclesia. So this idea of church which again is a religious word that is not really a translation of the word ecclesia. This is a, a group of people, a popular assembly. It is at times used to describe legal things. So if you had like the, the meeting of the Senate to describe or to, to go through some legal cases in, in uh, the Greco-Roman world, again, they would call that an ecclesia, a public assembly where people would get together and vote on different laws and different situations. Or if you had like a, a theater performance, you'd have the people who are called out to watch the theater performance. That's an ecclesia. That's a group of people, right? Uh, so even when it's used to describe God's people in the New Testament, this word is not always translated church. In Hebrews, twice in Hebrews, the writer uses ecclesia in a way that is not translated, typically translated as church. Hebrews 12, 22, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels, to the assembly and congregation. Here we have two different words, assembly and congregation, the one that's bolded and underlined here. That's the word that we're talking about. The congregation of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. And what is Hebrews describing? It's not just a group of people, but it's a group of what? All of the angels. And the spirits of those who have passed on before, all in this congregation on Mount Zion who are worshiping Yahweh, right? Now we have another verse in Hebrews chapter 2 where he uses this word. It was fitting for him, 
of whom, uh, for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory to make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's the Father perfecting Jesus through suffering. For indeed, he who makes holy and those being made holy all have the same origin so that he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's us. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. Now, gives us a little bit of insight here. This is a quote. You can see the quotes, right? Yeah, quotation marks. Quoted from Psalm 22, 22 as this quotation. Uh, and this is where the, 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 the idea of translations get, comes into play a little bit. Ecclesia is a word that is used in the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. This is the word that is used to describe the congregation of Israel. The assembly, the community of the Israelites. You've got the people in the synagogues. You've got in the Old Testament, congregations in the temple, the assemblies in, in the different public spaces where God's people would gather together to do a variety of different things. Here we see this quotation, I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly, in the midst of the ecclesia, which is again what we would typically think of the church. Because he's talking about the church here, right? He's talking about this Old Testament thing but he's using it in a way that describes the New Testament thing. It's, I, he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Who's that? That's us. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. The people who have submitted to Jesus' will, who have been united with him in immersion, those are his brothers and sisters. I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of us, the church. I will praise you. So in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, ecclesia is used to translate, I've said a couple of these things, to translate the assembly, the community, the uh, a possible focus on the unity of the congregation, a couple of words that can be used, again, not in a religious context, just in a generic context. And of course, one of the books of the Bible is named after this word. Not the book you're thinking of, you're, you would think would be, we would describe using this word, but Ecclesiastes, which comes from Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the teacher. The teacher, that word meaning one who instructs an assembly. Me, I'm a teacher. I'm a, uh, well, the, the Hebrew word, koalet. Uh, and that's where we get the word Ecclesiastes from, the book of our Bible. Uh, one who speaks to a congregation. And so as we think about this, it should be clear by now that this is not a word that we should use to refer to this building. This building is great. But it's not what the Bible would talk about as the church, right? This is not the place. It is the place where the people assemble, is this structure. But you know what? If we went out and met in the field behind the building, that'd be just as good. If we went out and met at uh, a public park somewhere, park in, uh, what if we went to Sooner Park? We could all go meet there. And there would be the church because there would be the assembly of the people. The building is not the thing that we refer to when we talk about church. And, and I, to be fair, I don't think most people consciously use the word church in that way. Like, I think most people understand, yeah, we're talking about the people, Chris, come on. But think about how we use the word church. What church do you go to? How many times have you asked that question or been asked that question? You don't even think about it. You just It's part of the thing that we talk about, right? You meet somebody at work. What church do you go to? You talk about religious things. What's the implication in that word? The church is some other thing, some place that I would go to. That's not really how the Bible uses the word church. What about where is that church? 
oh man, people, I, you know, people ask me what I do. I'm at the store, whatever. I preach at the New Church of Christ. Or where is that church? Well, we meet at this building. But where is the church? When they're asking that question, where is that? And I understand what they're asking. But again, language is insidious. We're not consciously thinking about this. But when we use the word this way, well, really the church is wherever you guys are. That's where the church is. Let's go to church. You probably said that this morning. You woke your kids up. I don't want to get up. It's too early. Maybe you were the one that didn't want to get up. I don't know if in our family, it's not the kids that have a hard time getting up. We're going to church today. Well, yeah, we are, I guess. We're going to the assembly. But that's not just something we do on Sunday. We are the church all the time. The, the group of people that is together you know, we meet on Wednesday night. We meet in homes on Saturday. Saturday, we had this Bible study at Lee's house. Bunch of Christians gathered in one room. That was the church. It wasn't all of the church, but it was a significant portion of the church. A group of people gathered together with common purpose. And so language shapes perception. If we aren't careful, we subconsciously conflate the building and the meeting location with the group of people. I've really tried in my communication, specifically with Gideon and Gwen, to say we are going to worship rather than we are going to church. Because the church exists Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, doesn't it? We don't just create the church on Sunday morning and then it exists and then we go home and the church is gone. We are the church all the time. But we go to worship, even though we could, of course, worship at home too. And so when we think about this, this word, the church as it's used in the New Testament, it applies to both congregations, which again, we see the translation of the Old Testament. It usually is translated congregation, right? Uh, and to the universal body of Christ. Both of these uses are used uh, uh, by different writers for the same thing. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you could be exalted because I proclaim the gospel of God to you free of charge? And here's the point, right? I robbed other churches. I robbed other ecclesias. What is he referring to? Well, again, he's not talking about the building, but he is talking about the churches in Galatia or the church in Ephesus or the church in Corinth or the church in wherever. Right? And he's saying, what is he saying here? I took money from those other churches so that I could preach to you for free. He's using this word to describe not the universal body of Christ, but to describe what? The group in a particular place. We are a church that is a group of people in this particular place that is in some ways distinct from the congregation of Lord's people over all the earth, right? And there's some specifics, there's some details specifically about the preacher. I'm not preaching to everybody in the whole church in the world. I'm preaching to you guys. We have shepherds, right? Shepherds who are not over. The shepherds here are not over the universal body of Christ. They don't have that power. They don't have that ability. They're over this particular assembly of people. So there is that sense, but there is other senses when, other times when the word is used to describe everybody. Acts 9, 31, then the church, singular, the ecclesia, the assembly of people throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace and thus was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord. And in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church increased 
in numbers. Well, here, singular use of the word. He's not talking about individual congregations. He's talking about everybody in different cities throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. You've got different congregations of the Lord's people, and they're all growing together. They're all experiencing peace. When, when a person is added to the Lord's church, a person commits to Christ. It's not just added to the Dury Church of Christ, right? But the total church of God, the entire body of his people has increased. Because God is infinite, right? He's not just looking at us. He's looking at everybody. I think about this sometimes. We just took the Lord's Supper. Time zones make this a little wonky. But let's say everybody in our time zone, so everybody generally north and south of us, that you were participating in this probably roughly about the same time. Give or take a few minutes. Maybe even there's some congregations who we were exactly the same time, 1030 on the dot, participating in communion. Okay, God is not just looking at us doing that, remembering the body of Christ. God is experiencing all of his people wherever they are doing that together, right? And the praise that he receives, not just from us, but the praise that he receives from everybody who is singing to him at that particular time, wherever they were. He's hearing that all together. So when we think about the church, we need to really focus on what is, what is meant by the New Testament use of this word. And, and Jesus, of course, he only uses it twice. It's kind of interesting. We use the word church so much. The writers of the New Testament use the word church, ecclesia, all the time. Jesus only uses it twice. And it really informs our understanding of what Jesus meant by this. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They answered, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, of course, a very famous verse, right? Answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one. And Jesus answered him, you are blessed, Simon of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Play on words here. You don't really get it in the Greek. The word for rock is Petra. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth has been will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. On this rock. What is the rock? Not Peter. Peter's testimony. The truth, the vital truth that he utters. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one the Son of the living God. It is on that foundational idea that Jesus is the Son of God that he will build what? His church. His building? No. His meeting place? No. What is he building? This group of people. He's building their purpose. And we think about that word, the called out. Those who are called out from the world. Jesus is building the reason why we are together. What's the reason? Why are we together? Because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why we're here, because we all believe that. We all acknowledge that. And that gives us a purpose that binds us beyond anything that matters in this life. Whatever your economic background, your race, your language, your history, whatever that is, I don't care. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We're all striving to be his people together. That is what he has built. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. 
when the two of you are alone. And here we see a progression of people, right? If he listens to you, you've regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you. So that the testimony of two or three witnesses, the matter may be established. And if he refuses to listen to them, take it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him like a Gentile or a tax collector. What does we see here? What are we seeing when he talks about, again, when Jesus uses this word church? What is he referring to? The group of people. And we can very see, clearly see that here, right? Because, Keith, you've really, you've really wronged me, man. I'm very sorry. So I go and talk to you. He doesn't listen to me because he's Keith, right? Obviously. I'm just making this up, to be clear. I go and talk to Keith. He doesn't want to hear it. So maybe I'm going to bring Don and I'm going to bring Andrew. Don and Andrew, they were there when Keith did this horrible thing. I'm going to bring them. We're going to talk. Keith doesn't want to listen to Don and Andrew and me. So what do we do? We need more people. More not a building, right? I don't need to bring them here, but I need the people to help me in this case. Now, just made that up. Keith hasn't done anything wrong to me, but we see what Jesus is using when he uses this word church. What is he meaning? More people. The people are the thing. And so when he says, on this rock, I will build my church, that's you and me. He built us. He built this body of people through his death and his sacrifice and his resurrection, through his teaching and the things that he told to the apostles that they taught. We understand our common purpose, the things that we're supposed to do. And because I understand my purpose, the thing that I've been called out for, I can use that to say, hey, you know what? We need to be doing better. Jesus built his church, his group of people that were all striving for one purpose. And you know, the way that you've been acting is not in line with that purpose. You're damaging the group of people. So let's make it better. Inherent in the word is the idea of a common purpose, right? To describe legal meetings or city councils or going to a play. The point of ecclesia is it was a group of people called out to a common assembly, a purpose. If you're all going to the same play to watch a theater performance, you are uh, ecclesia. The common purpose was what? Well, we want to watch this theater performance. In Acts 19, the riot in Ephesus. They were an ecclesia, a group of people assembled together for a common purpose. What was the common purpose? We hate Paul. That's the common purpose. <laughs> we hate what, what's going on in our city. And so Jesus built his church by establishing the reason why we were called out of the world. A group with a common purpose. And we'll run through these quickly. I know we're, we're running close to time. As we think about the purpose that he established. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. What is our purpose? To support his truth. Right? That's our purpose. Our common purpose together is we are united, not just in location, we're all here in the building together, but we are united because we are supporting and upholding and establishing the truth that Jesus gave. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What should I do then, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Each has a song, has a lesson, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all these things be done for the strengthening of the church. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, he is very specifically talking about the public assembly. But there is a general purpose here, right? My purpose is what? As part of the church is to strengthen you. 
And your purpose is to strengthen me. Our purpose together. What binds us is, yes, a love of the truth, an understanding of Jesus' truth, but also a desire to help one another. That the things that I do will make your life and your purpose better and easier, and easier to accomplish. Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, to me, less than all, uh, I got to start it over. To me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to enlighten everybody about God's secret plan, the mystery that has been hidden in ages, uh, for ages in God who created all things, the purpose of this enlightenment, that is, I know about Christ and his plan for us, is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What is our purpose? To reveal God's wisdom. That truth that we're supposed to support and uphold and establish. When Jesus said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. We're revealing the wisdom that Jesus gave. That is our purpose together. Our common shared purpose. So built, Jesus built his church to establish, strengthen, and to convey truth. And guess what? I need you to do that. You need me to do that. We need each other to accomplish the purpose of Jesus in our lives. And so the conclusion of the matter, if you want to be a part of the purpose of Jesus, you want Jesus to work his will in your life. Hopefully you want that today. You're here Obviously, you have some inkling of spiritual things. You have some desire to be pleasing to Jesus. You have some understanding of who Jesus is. If you want Jesus' purpose to be fulfilled in your life, you must be a part of the group of people that he died for. Because the purpose of the group is to allow us to do these things that we could not do alone. I need you and you need me. We'll end with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. I pray the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you. And, and you know, imagine, I think about these prayers a lot. I read these prayers, and I think about them for myself, and I do pray them sometimes. And as I read them in sermons, I, I really, I try to emphasize, we're supposed to be praying for this for each other, right? I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, that is, you know something. I know that you're here because you know something. My prayer is that you will know more. So that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as is displayed in the exercise of his immense strength, the power, this power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That is now, right? And God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church. It's interesting the way he phrases this. Not he gave the church to Christ. He gave Christ to the church. He gave Jesus to us. We just memorized, or we just remembered it, right? He gave Christ to us as the head over all things. God has given us Christ to be in charge. I love our, our shepherds, the great shepherds. They're not in charge. Jesus is the head of all things, right? Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you want to be a part of the body of Christ, that's not something you can go it alone. 
It's something that is accomplished, as we've seen, both in the local congregations of believers, but also in the universal body of Christ. To be in Christ is to be part of his people. There's no way to be in Christ and to not be a part of his people. And so you're here today. I hope that you are ready to be a part of his people. We want you to join us, don't we? Yeah, we do. That's right, bud. If you're ready, we're ready too. Come while we stand and sing.